This morning marks the beginning of Advent. Advent means coming. It's a season in which we prepare to celebrate Christ's birth as a little baby born to a virgin in Bethlehem. We've titled this year's Advent series, The Miracle of Christmas, or Miracles, plural, of Christmas. Turn with me in your copy of the scripture to Isaiah chapter 9. As we consider the miracle of prophecy fulfilled, this week we're going to consider God's work to reveal himself through Isaiah. You might ask, what is a prophet? My best explanation of a prophet is on the screen. A prophet is one who declares God's purposes and plans. Men like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, women like Huldah, Deborah, declared God's purposes and plans to the nation of Israel, and in some cases, Jonah, to other nations. Much like a syllabus outlines a professor's purposes and plans for a classroom and the students that he's teaching, prophecy outlines God's purposes and plans for his people. Of course, a syllabus tells students what's ahead, right, for the semester, and what's expected of them. In the same way, prophecy alerts God's people to what's coming, what's ahead, and then what the appropriate response should be. I remember registering for classes in college, knowing full well that I might drop the class once I get the syllabus and thumb through it and discern whether or not I'm up for the challenge. The problem, though, with that strategy is I missed out on a lot of good classes. I had friends who didn't drop classes, and they would tell me later, well, the professor is amazing. Perhaps you've heard before, we don't actually take classes, we take professors. It's really about the person teaching us as much as the coursework being taught. Here's the point. The primary role of a syllabus is not simply to disclose what's ahead or what is expected from students, although a syllabus certainly does that. The primary role of a syllabus is to reveal the intentions and the goals of the professor for the students, the hopes, the dreams that the professor has for the the learning that's to take place. The same is true of biblical prophecy. Prophecy is more about revealing God than revealing the future. It's more about unfolding who the the purposes of God to us, his character to us. This is nowhere more evident than in the Old Testament messianic prophecies. Follow along as I read the prophecy of Jesus' birth given 700 years before he was born. Isaiah was a prophet uh, between the times of 740 and 700 B.C. uh, During a period when Israel was under attack by foreign powers. This is Isaiah Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. How will this happen? I inserted that. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah proclaims that the baby to be born will be a wonderful counselor, God himself in his might, everlasting father, prince of peace. Yet the danger for many is the doubt that tempts us to question whether a little baby was really 
the all-knowing, right, omniscient, all-powerful, omnipotent, everywhere present, right, God of the universe. How'd that work? In a little baby, really? After all, one of the most striking realities of a baby is that they're completely dependent on others. That is what Greg was alluding to in communion. Come to Christ as a child, wholly dependent on him, and in, in an innocence, express our need for forgiveness to him and receive his care of us, right? Come to Christ as a child. Because of the dependence of a baby lying in the manger, people are tempted to doubt whether or not that's really God. They're tempted to chalk it up to fable, myth, fantastic story, one that represents God's love for humanity, but not one that actually historically took place. It can be hard to believe that God was born to a virgin in a small, insignificant nation in a tiny town, born to a poor carpenter and his wife, and that he was delivered in a stable and spent the first night on earth in a feed trough. Was that really God's entry into the world? Could God really intervene and act to deliver us from sin in that strange way? In many respects, this is the very question with which Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ahaz, King Ahaz wrestled. Isaiah spoke to Ahaz. Ahaz was the king of Judah, the king to whom Isaiah spoke this prophecy of a coming miraculous birth of God in the flesh. The people of God had long since been divided into two nations. The northern kingdom named Israel, the southern Judah was its name. Ahaz was king of Judah and he faced the same type of Christmas dilemma that we face this morning. He faced the question, is God really able to intervene? deliver? Can he really act on our behalf, provide hope? Now, admittedly, Ahaz was not wrestling with whether the baby born in Bethlehem was the Savior. That wasn't his Christmas dilemma, but he was wrestling to believe that God would keep his word, nonetheless, that God was powerful enough to save him and provide for the nation, delivering from enemies, securing their future, their borders. Israel and Judah had enjoyed long seasons of peace without their borders being threatened. But a new ruler in the north came into power. His name, fun name, Tiglath-Pileser. Tiglath-Pileser III. He was the ruler of Assyria, a kingdom that was to the northeast of Israel. This ruler was looking to expand his territory. He was pushing southwest towards the nations of that area, including Aram, Israel, and Judah. And they're all scrambling their troops. They hear he's coming. They're making alliances. How will we protect ourselves against the Assyrian army? Israel, to the north of Ahaz's kingdom, Judah, Israel decided their best course of action was to ally themselves with their neighbor, Aram, believing that if they united, they'd be able to together turn back the Assyrian army and they'd serve both of their interests. The problem for Judah was that Israel and Aram cemented their alliance to fight Assyria together and then they decided to launch an attack south, to the south against Judah in order to take her resources 
in the effort to fight Assyria. The goal was to capture Jerusalem, the capital city, use Judah's resources to defend themselves. As Israel and Arab began to move against Judah, making their way towards Jerusalem, this terrifies Ahaz, king of Judah, appropriately. He's reeling. He doesn't feel that he can stave off these armies. He doesn't have any other neighboring nations to turn to for help. This is where Isaiah comes in. What will God say through the prophet to his people about his purposes and plans? How will God reveal who he is to his, to his people? Seeing that Ahaz is panicked, God sends the prophet as Isaiah to comfort him. Ahaz has gone out to check the water supply. He goes out to check the water supply, worried that they won't have enough water to hold out if, if there's a long, drawn-out siege against Jerusalem. Scripture tells us that Isaiah meets him there at the upper pool. The words of Isaiah to Ahaz are on the screen. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 2 to 9. Now the house of David was told, this is the house of Judah, right? Ahaz is king of Judah. Now the house of David was told, Aram was, has allied itself with Ephraim, that's Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Sherjeshab, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful. This is the word of the Lord through Isaiah to Ahaz. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. This is how God characterizes these other two nations. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. So they already had plans to put a new king in Judah. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen, for the head of Aram is Damascus, capital of Syria, right? Aram. And the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you're not going to physically stand against your enemies. So Ahaz has a decision to make. He's just received the word of the Lord from, through Isaiah. How will he respond? Will he be careful? Will he keep calm? Will he not be afraid? Or will he be foolish and frantic and do something sinful? Ahaz must decide whether God is able to do something surprising, something that seems completely impossible, that is to protect the kingdom of Judah from certain invasion to northern nations. Ahaz had a decision to make about whether he'll believe God's message of saving grace, the message of hope in a dire situation. 
You can imagine how radically, how radical Isaiah's directions might, must have sounded to Ahaz as a king. His capital city surrounded by enemy forces. He's worried about the water supply. Will we physically have enough water to, to withstand a, a protracted siege? Don't do anything is the instruction. Simply trust in God. Wait upon his miraculous deliverance. Stand firm or you won't stand at all. Imagine how hard it was for a king to hear these instructions. The Lord will deliver. In fact, it sounds almost crazy, right? It sounds as crazy as trusting in the salvation provided through a little baby born in a feed trough. That's how God's delivered us. Trust in Christ, God himself incarnate in the flesh. Does it sound outlandish? A little baby in swaddling clothes. Scripture teaches that there's no one righteous, not one person among us. You might say we're surrounded by the enemies of our souls. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But his free gift to us is eternal life through this little baby who grew up and became a man and gave his life on the cross. Unfortunately, Ahaz was overcome by doubt. He was not careful. He let his fears get the best of him. He didn't believe God was able. And he turns, he turns to another nation for help. He turns to Tiglath-Pileser III. He sends a message. It's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 16. I'm your servant, your vassal. Come and rescue me from the attacking armies of Aaron, Aram and Israel. Then he takes the silver and the gold from the temple of God there in Jerusalem, and he sends them as payments to this Assyrian army and its king. Instead of believing God was able to deliver and protect, Ahaz takes matters into his own hands. He's going to solve the problem. And he, he enlists the help of a, a pagan king, a non-believing king. Isaiah is predictably stunned. He's just told him, stand firm in your faith. God will deliver you. He's stunned that Ahaz had the opportunity to be delivered miraculously by God himself. And he chose to become the servant of a foreign power. It was apparently more comfortable for Ahaz to rely upon himself, his political expertise, than to rely on God. Apparently easier for him to pull some strings to purchase protection financially. He found hope in his own strength, his own wits, his own maneuvering. They're coming from the north. I'll hire the kingdom that's behind them to invade their land as they're trying to invade my land. Do we see the Christmas parallel? God's provided a way for humanity to escape the punishment of sin through faith in the birth of Jesus and his death on the cross. And we must each decide whether we will rely on ourselves or God's provision. Will we rely upon our own political brilliance, our own wits, our own financial um, strength? Or we rely on what appears to the world to be foolishness. 
this morning, in whom or on in whom do you place your trust? God apparently sees that Ahaz is having trouble trusting him, right? He sees that Ahaz is going to make a maneuver here that's not going to serve him well, and so he offers something very unique. It's directed by God, and Isaiah is sent to him, and Isaiah is given permission to offer Ahaz a sign. It's on the screen, Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God, Isaiah speaking, for a sign, whether in the deep, deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I'll not ask, I'll not put the Lord to the test. Now, this was God's idea. God's willing to provide a sign for Ahaz. He's willing to provide any demonstration, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights, you name it, I'll prove to you that I'm able to deliver and provide for Judah. Ahaz isn't interested. He even offers some pious language, well, I'll not put the Lord to the test, Isaiah. And it's true that we're not to test God. We're not to demand signs for him, from him. But this is God's idea. God comes to Ahaz and says, I'll provide you a sign, you name it. The people of God and their future hang in the balance. The city of David itself, Jerusalem hangs in the balance. The covenant promises the future, the messianic hope of the world, salvation, hangs in the balance, as it were. So God steps forward and goes, I want to comfort you, Ahaz. Even though he knows Ahaz is doing his own thing, his own political uh, maneuvers, he's relying on his wits and the, the wealth of the nation instead of relying on God at this point, in fact, some believe that Ahaz completely turns his back on Yahweh and offers one of his sons as a sacrifice, not uncommon in the ancient world, human sacrifice, offers one of his sacrifice, uh, sons as a sacrifice to the Assyrian gods. See, in the ancient world, many believed that armies were given victory by their gods. And since Assyria was Ahaz's hope for deliverance, Ahaz offers one of his sons to the Assyrian gods, hoping for deliverance. There's nothing more precious to a king than their son. There's nothing more precious to a king than their son. And so Ahaz offers his son to try and convince the Assyrian gods and Assyria to deliver him. Do you see the irony? God's able to deliver Ahaz from his enemies, and he's even willing to provide a sign, a sign that will confirm his love for Judah, provide comfort in the days ahead. But Ahaz doesn't want a sign. He refuses it. Here are God's words through the prophet. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's the opening to the gospel narrative in Matthew. God gives Ahaz a sign even though he doesn't want one, and it's the sign of his most precious son's birth. Ahaz offers his son in sacrifice to the Assyrian gods. And God says, no, I'll provide a son. I'll give you a son. 
Even though Ahaz had no faith in God's willingness to save, God's determined to bless, get this, even though Ahaz, the king of Judah, has no faith in God, God is determined to bless his people and protect Judah and provide for the salvation of many. God is able and will make himself available to his people in a surprising way. Through his birth in the flesh, he's powerful, he's personally present to provide what we need. And of course, this prophecy of God's special sign to come is for all of us, not just Ahaz. And Ahaz, in fact, never saw the fulfillment of the day. It comes some 700 years later. God knew that it wouldn't be long till both Israel and Judah were overrun by invaders, that his chosen people would be carted off into exile but that he would keep his promises to provide for his people salvation. And we're the recipients of that blessing today. So the question for us is, are we being careful? Are we keeping calm? Are we making sure that fears don't get the most of us? Because we all have Temptations, stresses, crisis, troubles that we face that cause us to question God's purposes of a little baby born under a miraculous star growing up to give his life for us, to ransom us from our sin, to secure for us eternal life in the very presence of God with us in the valley of the shadow of death. Are you being careful? By that I mean, are you guarding against doubts? Are you keeping calm? It's easy to get stressed out. I'm making regular referrals to mental health professionals. The waiting list for mental health professionals is weeks long in our COVID realities. As people, the stresses of finances and, and, and health are on our families and our marriages and our relationships and our jobs are pushing many who are near the edge already, right over the edge. God is a very present help in times of trouble. Be careful, keep calm, do not be afraid. Because Emmanuel has come. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask for your goodness to us as a people, your care of us. Would you open our minds, our hearts, to see Christ more clearly, would you help us not to depend upon ourselves? Our wits, our relationships, our politics, our wisdom, our insight, I pray we would trust in you and your wisdom shown clearly through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.